You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Supposed to be a time of great hope. It's supposed to be this moment of glory where you're convinced your team has turned the page and has gotten better. And instead, today has been a swift kick in the no-no places. It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. We're bonus time. We got a lot to get off our chest. We got a bonus uh, extra time coming on as we get you caught up for Blazers Pelicans uh, tonight on ESPN Radio at 930 Eastern. Uh, but realistically, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, we got a lot to say because... Frankly, I got kicked in the almond joys, Sarah, and uh, I know it was a tough day for both of us. We'll get to my beloved Raiders, but first, what the heck with the Bears? <sighs> we find ourselves here again, Fitz. We get all the hope in the world that we're going to get to Sean Watson, that we're going to be the team that puts the most in and gets back Russell Wilson. Even though we've got nothing to give, that's a huge cap hit, and it wouldn't make any sense. We still believed because belief and hope is all we have. The only good part of being a Bears fan is that time period in the offseason when you think maybe they will change and give you something to cheer for at the quarterback position. And instead... I will be spending the offseason reminding myself that his nickname is the Red Rifle and not the Red Rocket, which is what I have oft (laughs) accidentally called Andy Dalton, which will become more unfortunate when he is, in fact, my quarterback and not merely an opposing team's quarterback. Um, Yeah, Fitz, this uh, this is a tough one. Uh, As Tom Fornelli put it, some will point out the Bears could assign Dalton to a one-year, $3 million deal last year instead of trading a draft pick for the right to pay Nick Foles even more. But those people don't understand football like the Bears do. That's right. Not only is this not that much of an upgrade or possibly not even an upgrade, we were really excited to give up a fourth-round pick to get Foles last year when we didn't have any draft capital. Now we don't have any cap space, and we're really excited to pay Andy Dalton 10 to $13 million. So we can add him to a roster where he and Nick Foles can Spider-Man meme each other to death over who is more mediocre. And the saddest part is, if you took Dalton's numbers and you compared him to the history of the quarterback position with the Chicago Bears, he's probably better. I don't know if he's better now, as he's in the later years of his career, but at one point, he might have been better than most of the people we've had before, and it's still a disappointment. So try to wrap your head around that. Uh, The only thing I can say is, according to Schefter, the Bears did take a big swing at Russell Wilson and the Seahawks told them, not happening, we're not trading him. Dan Orlovsky's response was that was, don't hang up the phone. I love Dan, but that's not reality. The Bears didn't have anything to offer them to offset the loss of a franchise quarterback. They didn't have a lot of draft capital to give them. It's a massive cap hit for them to lose Russell Wilson in a trade. The Bears just didn't have packages that made sense for that. So I could be hopeful that things would get so bad and they would be so desperate that they might make it work. But I'm not surprised that Russ isn't coming to the Bears. So they backed themselves into a spot year after year of mediocrity to yet again give a guy late in his career a pass and hope things get better. It's an indictment of the front office. It's an indictment of ownership. It's an indictment of a franchise that helped found a league in which they have been almost always completely irrelevant at the most important position. I think Will Bond summed up how most people in Chicago are feeling about the people making decisions right now. These guys, I've been telling you this for three or four years. They are a disaster. They have led to ruin the Chicago Bears. And the Bears aren't always great, but they're not this incompetent. This is awful. 
Yeah, the only way this isn't a complete disaster is, and I'm living in a different universe here, if they use this to, like, spin Dalton to the Seahawks or the Jets in a three-team deal that gets them, Russ, or they move up in the draft and get Trey Lance and give him a shot, or or maybe Mac Jones gets to the Bears and turns out to be great. Uh, But right now, uh, hello, darkness, my old friend, uh, is basically summing up how Bears fans are feeling. Here we are again. Yet another absolutely mediocre move. How, how's your team doing? Uh, I heard you guys made some big moves today. Uh, what happened to you? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. How was my day? Uh, Spade and yeah. Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, presented by Progressive Insurance, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Uh, look, I want to laugh at you. Like, I do. Like, even as your friend, I want to laugh with you. I can't laugh because I've mm. spent the afternoon vacillating back and forth between yelling at my phone, yelling at Twitter, yelling at the walls, yelling at anything I possibly can. Because yet again, I'm reminded that in the offseason particularly, like, it's bad enough being a Raiders fan on Sundays. It's even worse being a Raiders fan from the month of January all the way till when the season mm. starts. Because yet again, I'm sitting here watching my favorite team doing stupid things. This is Orlovsky, Dan Orlovsky and Mina Kimes on NFL Live catching everybody up on the Raiders and today's stupidity. Huge. I mean, he's one of the top three centers in the NFL. I would say Miami, call him. Baltimore, call him. Dallas, call him. And the Rams, call him. He is a very, very, very good player. Probably Seattle too, Mina. Very Uh-oh. good player, but a lot of teams should be calling him. Those <laughs> would be my, money? my top four. With what money? With the Rams. Go, Sorry. Mina. Um, yeah, Rodney Hudson's <laughs> He's spectacular. I mean, he's such a cerebral player. Centers in general are very cerebral. But I remember speaking to Derek Carr about their connection just a few years ago. I can't imagine how he feels sitting here watching the dissolution of the entire right side of that offensive line, but especially Hudson in particular. Uh, He's also incredibly durable over the course of eight seasons. He's only missed four games He's a no-brainer signing. I would go beyond Dan's list of teams. Like, half the NFL should be considering right. this, depending on the, the cost mm. and how much money they have. Today, oh. the, yeah, the Raiders cut starting center Rodney Hudson, who a month ago, Raiders fans, myself included, were up in arms that he didn't get more consideration as an all-pro and then has been consistently one of the best centers in the NFL. He's gone. And so what the Raiders have managed to do, a team with a terrible defense last year, what they've managed to do is take one of their minimal strengths, which is offensive line, and they've taken that and they've decimated it. They now no longer have a right tackle. We're not sure if they have a right guard. They may be releasing him. They've released a super star center, and they have no left guard. Four out of five players on the offensive line look like they're going to be gone at this point. And you've got a quarterback that, at best, is skittish when he's under pressure. So now a quarterback that looks very good when he's protected, but not great when he isn't, has no idea who's going to be protecting them. Somehow, the plan for the Raiders has been, instead of addressing the defense, which has been abysmal, Mm. let's go out there instead and take our only strength, which is our offense, and make that hot garbage, too. Mm. Like, if John Gruden's idea of a smart way to build a franchise is to turn around and take your strength and make it a weakness so that you can have parity and just stink on both sides of the ball, maybe that's what they're trying to accomplish. But at this point, they took everything that looked good, and they've now made it bad. The Raiders today are actually farther away than they were a week ago from being competitive with the Chiefs, and that's gross to feel. Yet again, I'm looking at the Raiders, who today, I said this morning, I said, let's have a little bit of positivity. Signed a big pass rusher yesterday, a little bit of positivity. And then the Raiders turn around and then remind me that I am Charlie Brown. They are the football. I constantly run up, and all they do is get out of the way and let me look like an ass by the end of it. Not to mention that 
the Raiders are one of the teams Russell Wilson also said he'd be interested in. And if he had any ideas of going there, and if they were had, had any idea of trying to put together a package with a quarterback like Carr, who the Seahawks might actually consider if things got really desperate, he's now looking and going, wait, 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 I'm not leaving this terrible O-line for that terrible O-line. Like, that's not an upgrade. That's not where I want to be. So they've just, you know what? The only thing I can think of to make us both feel better is what if we created a rule where the Bears and the Raiders became one team and we just took the best players from both teams and the best coaches and everything else. We just made one squad. I think we'd have a good shot. That's not a bad idea. Like, we, we take a little bit of a – it'd be mostly your players, by the way. Right. It would be well, mostly... we'd still have no O-line, so that's a problem. <laughs> yeah, well... we'd, have, we'd have a defense and a decent quarterback. What else do you need? Uh, yeah, well, this is this is why I usually drink, and it's a reminder that this was not a good month for me to give mm. up all bad no. food and all oh, alcohol. No. Like, you know, <laughs> it, it's just once. What I want is an off season where I don't have to answer a hundred different texts of what the heck is your favorite team thinking, mm. and that's yet again what I'm doing. And I don't have great feelings about what the draft is going to be. The all whole right. network is laughing at me right now. Like the whole. <laughs> Also, by the way, I was told that Bart and Han were filling in for KJ and Z, heard me do a read for Women's History Month, said, wow, she's a star. She's up and coming. Oh, that wasn't Mina Kimes? Never mind. So it's not been great. It's not been great for me. Okay? Wow. We, we, Spain and Fitz, are brought to you by My Computer Career Training (laughs) for a Better Life. All right, coming up, there's no venting when it comes to the Patriots. Uh, Yeah, as always, they're happy in Boston. We'll give you the Uh. latest of what's going uh, going on up there. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz Podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Remember, you're getting a little bit of bonus time with us, getting an extra bonus 30 minutes as we're taking you into the Pelicans Blazers, which will be tonight, 930 Eastern on ESPN Radio. And don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast to get some extra fun stuff there and uh, always a good time. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests join us on the Goodyear hotline. We're going to head over there now for some Straight Talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. Uh, You know, I I text one of our friends. I won't throw him under the bus as I text one of our buddies that works for the network today, Sarah, and I said, you know what, it's just, it's difficult to be being a Raiders fan sometimes. Mm. And he said, you're right, because your team stinks. And I said, we're we're the opposite (laughs) of the Patriots. Like, everything the Patriots do seems to turn to at least, like, some level of gold. And everything the Raiders touch does the opposite. The the Patriots right now, hot, 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 as they spend money all over the place and people are just uh, amazed by it. So let's get some sense on that from Nicole Yang, Boston Globe Patriots reporter. Nicole, thanks so much for the time. We appreciate you joining us. I guess we expected some level of spending spree. We knew that this was a possibility, but when you see the numbers that have gone out over the last 24 to 48 hours, is it a surprise to you? Yeah, I think you definitely expected Bill Belichick to make some moves, but this many, this quickly, with this much guaranteed money, I don't think anybody saw this coming. The funny thing is, though, the way the deals are structured so far on the eight players that they've signed, like the Patriots still have 35 to $40 million in cap space, so I don't think they're done. Like There could be more today we woke up to Hunter Henry. There could be more tomorrow, this week. Yeah, it's not surprising or shocking to me that they've gone out and spent all this money. They have came into this offseason with some of the most cap space. They are not 
drastically affected by the lowered cap like plenty of other teams are. So they don't have a ton of competition for players the way they might have in the past when they had sunk a lot of costs into certain players and they needed to go looking for diamonds in the rough. Now they can go out and get who they want because other teams don't have the ability to. I think what I'm more surprised about is what you just mentioned, that guaranteed money. I think it's five other teams in NFL history that have spent that much in guarantees. None of them have won a playoff game. Is that an ominous sign for what they've spent so far? Right. Like they always say, the teams that have the highest bills in March don't necessarily make it to February. So I I think that there's definitely question marks as to whether this will work out. I mean, the biggest question is who will play quarterback? Obviously, they re-signed Cam on a very uh, team-friendly deal, but there were concerns about his performance last year. And there's reasons to be optimistic. Um, He has a full offseason going to be able to continue to build relationships, get another season with the Patriots playbook. And obviously his COVID diagnosis didn't help him last year. So there's reasons to be optimistic with him. I guess everyone's wondering whether there's another shoe to drop at the quarterback position. So it's it's fair to wonder um, how this will all shake out. But I think Patriots fans don't doubt Bill Belichick just yet. Last season didn't go well, but it's still in Bill we trust. We're talking to Nicole Yang, uh, Boston Globe Patriots reporter on Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. You mentioned other shoe to drop. What's a realistic expectation at this point? If there is another shoe to drop, where do the Patriots look? So I think the trade target that they want is Jimmy Garoppolo. And I saw that um, the Bears were interested potentially in Jimmy. So that might give an indication about what the 49ers are thinking. But if he doesn't become available, I think they'll look to the draft. And given how aggressive Belichick was in free agency, it makes me think that he's going to be aggressive in the draft. He might trade up in that first round and try and get a Trey Lance or a Justin Fields and hopefully you know, start week one with Cam and build up the, the prospect for the quarterback of the future type thing. It's Spain and Fitz here. Spain, Jason Fitz talking to Boston Globe Patriots reporter Nicole Yang. Congrats, by the way, on the uh, Associated Press Sports Editors Award, which you picked up recently. Uh, that's always oh, exciting. You. Um, you know, we've heard different colleagues of ours sort of debate or, or have conversation about whether or not some of the signings, especially the tight ends, uh, point to trying to build around the style of Cam, particularly his inability to, to really utilize the deep ball last year or whether that's a misreading and there's an expectation that the style will change for Cam once he's had longer in the system. How do you read the specific players that they've added? I think that's definitely part of it. And I think part of it, too, is just an admission of how poorly they've drafted because the Patriots did draft two tight ends last year in the third round, and neither of them did anything. And they had, I think they ranked dead last in receptions by tight ends last year, and they also ranked dead last in a number of personnel groupings with more than two tight ends. So they just haven't been able to figure out that position regardless of the quarterback since Rob Gronkowski left. So I think part of it is just trying to find some stability there. And then it obviously happens to work well with I think where Cam is in his career. But um, the fact that they signed two, I think shows definitely a, an indication that they're going to lean heavy on like 12 personnel and personnel groupings with the two tight ends. So Nicole, let's give benefit of the doubt here and say all the signings look like they're perfect and everything goes great for the Patriots moving forward. Where are they in the AFC East? If all of that happens. 
It's hard to say because the Buffalo Bills obviously have sort of replaced them, I guess, in terms of a franchise with, like, stability, even though it was just their first year last year. But, I mean, I think they're contenders. It's Bill Belichick, and if Cam Newton is able to throw, like, passes that just don't go into the dirt, I think they have a a really good shot. I mean, they signed the two top tight end free agents. They've signed – a deep threat and another promising wide receiver. They've also addressed their defensive issues and they have a lot of good returning players too. They had eight players opt out last season and Dante Hightower, Patrick Chung, they're all going to be back. So I think they're in a good spot. It's Bain and Fitz. We're talking about the Pats, big spending, big bucks, Billy. Uh, Not only obviously do they have to contend with a division that's getting better, but expectations from a fan base that maybe accepted a gap year last season, but now expect more. We're kind of running out of time, but I'm just curious what the reaction has been locally to all these signings and expectations now. I think the fans are definitely excited. And I think that sort of like what we were talking about uh, to start, nobody expected this. Uh, I think people could have expected Johnny Smith and Hunter Henry or Johnny Smith and or Hunter Henry, but it's to have the two of them plus two wide receivers. It's just, I think fans are excited that they actually have weapons because that was one of the big things with Cam's performance last year. It was, okay, does he not have it anymore? Or does he just have no one to throw to? And I think we'll have a a good indication on that too, at least as to whether which was the issue is it cam or or was it that he just didn't have any weapons because now that's definitely not a problem you guys can follow her on twitter at nicole c yang and of course reader on the boston globe nicole thanks so much for the time we really appreciate you thanks so much for having me that's some straight talk straight talk wireless no contract no compromise and uh, of course i mean at some point being aggressive when you come into this level of free agency and spending this kind of money when you're a fan base not used to it makes you feel like, hey, there's there's change right around the corner. So as, as negative as Sarah and I feel about our favorite teams today, <laughs> as usual, Boston fans feel like they're winning right now. Coming up next, we'll get back to all of this in a little bit, but it's time for some game changers. We're going to do it with somebody that's absolutely changing the game with the WNBA next, Spain and Fitz. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Joining us now, WNBPA Executive Director Terry Jackson, who we've had on before. Terry, thanks for coming back. Thank you. I love it. A woman just doing her thing in this That's right. Space. I love it. That's right. Thanks for that. Well, it's been clear since you took over and started doing work on the WNBPA, which is always a mouthful, uh, that you've helped negotiate <laughs> A great contract. You've helped create a great connection between the league and 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 the players' association, and ushered in incredible success last year. The WNBA and the NWSL, two of the only leagues that experienced great growth, while other leagues saw the pandemic take hits. Uh, talk to me about that before we get to this season and the Count It initiative. How do you plan to look at what you saw last year and build on it? Well, I mean, it's clear if you make it available, if you put us on television, right, then the fans will find us and the ratings will soar. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's, I think, all we had ever been asking for and pleading and demanding, finally. Um, We even had a licensee, Breaking Tea, make it, they heard us loudly and clearly, they made a t-shirt, put women's sports on TV. It was just that simple. And yeah, you know, it's kind of funny to me when I hear 
you know, some of the execs around sports in the, in the men's leagues kind of lamenting and complaining that their ratings were down. And, and then they offer this rationale, which is really so funny. They were like, well, we all came back at the same time. And so we were competing against each other. And so that's what happened. And, you know, when I heard that, I just got a really, really good laugh, Sarah, I got to tell you, because <laughs> I thought to myself, that has always been our case. We, this, is, this is always the time in which we play, and we're always competing against you all, and nobody gave us a break. Um, <laughs> and yet it was, it was interesting, right? Put us on television, and we were must-see TV last year. Um, we, it, was, it wasn't hard to find a WNBA game. Just Terry, but- imagine. Yeah, I mean, but but let me walk to the other side, like because I'm I'm really interested in how much we've heard the conversation that, which I think is an ignorant one, but I'll I'll at least give it some space here, yeah. where you know ratings are down in some sports because people are doing more than just sticking to sports. But the WNBA went very fearlessly into rock the vote and went very fearlessly into standing for up for what the league believes in. Was there some concern as the league continues to grow uh, about taking those sort of hard stances? No, no. The, the 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 players went hard for what they believed in. That that's what happened. Um and they were so authentic and because they were, they were resonating with the rest of the country, the rest of the world. It's just it's it's who we are and we were finally the players were finally able to express themselves and be heard and you know, it's it's the you know, the phrase that almost gets overused use their platform um but but that's exactly what they did um and no i there's no concern in fact what we're seeing on the players association side are partners corporate partners who are coming to the table saying we love who you are we love what you did we support that we want to amplify your your voice even more um how do we do that and so we're having we're having great conversations and i believe you know, Kathy Engelbert and her team as commissioner of the league, I believe the league is also in generating, you know, partners who, who've got this interest in us, um, who understand who we are, who've watched who we are, who believe who we are, and say we want to be a part of this. Yeah, it does feel like leaning into that instead of fighting it makes more sense than anything yes. considering the fan base that's already invested. And those on the outside who are going to be pushed away by that probably weren't going to be in on it anyway. So you're not really missing out on those folks. Uh, we're talking <laughs> to w- <laughs> uh, We're talking to WNBPA Executive Director Terry Jackson with us here on Spain and Fitz for Game Changers. Let's talk about the plans for this upcoming season, the 25th for the WNBA, a new campaign called Count It. Special edition logo, new in-season competition. We're looking forward to seeing some of those new jerseys and uniforms based around this. Tell us what we need to know about the Count It campaign. What I love about what Kathy and her team did was, was to come to the players and say, big anniversary coming up, 25th is a big year. We want to celebrate it. We want to do it big. We want to hear from you. We've got some ideas. We want to hear from you. And not only did she reach out to, you know, current players, player leadership. We were on more than a few calls, um, throwing out ideas, listening, and, and engaging that way. Not only did she do that, she also reached out to an important group of stakeholders, the retired players. 
the legend of our game. And she's put together a really good, strong um, advisory board of, of those of, of retired players, Lisa Leslie, Cheryl Swoops, Cynthia Cooper, and on and on. I'm not even going to try to name everybody because I'm going to miss, you know, I'm going to miss somebody. Um, but, you know, I, I hats off to her because I know, we know as on the player side of the house, that the retired players have always been looking to reconnect with the league. Have been, oh, They care so much about it. They've always wanted to be a part of the conversations and, you know, they do, we do things with them, um, you know, at all-star and, and, and things like that, but they just care so much about this league. All, all players, current or retired, they're so protective of this league and they just wanted to be a part of the conversation. So for the league to do that, um, it, that's big time. That's big time in, in our book. Um, and so, you know, to come up with a phrase that's going to be catchy. I mean, hey, I'm not in the marketing department, but, um, you know, to do it with in, in the basketball sense and, and one that's going to resonate with so many people. I, I don't know about you, Sarah, Jason. I, I think they nailed it. I think nailed they did it. a good job. Sure. And I, the logo, the logo is beautiful. When they were showing us the product and, you know, kind of what they were envisioning, you know, there were gaps. Like we heard it. I don't care if it, folks were on mute on Zoom. Like we heard it. I I, I heard it, or you you saw mm-hmm. the the expression. So the product looks good. Fans are gonna want it. Fans are mm-hmm. gonna want it. We're talking WMBPA Executive Director Terry Jackson. Look at me, Sarah. I got all those Nailed letters it. right. I'm so I'm proud of you. Feeling so professional. We should have uh, a game Terry. changers for you. <laughs> you learned how to read. <laughs> Oh, it's one step at a time for me. It's the 25th season. You know, baby steps for me. Uh, Terry, what's the biggest challenge the WNBA faces over the next few years in your mind? Ooh, the biggest challenge. Um, The biggest challenge might be staying on course. You know, like we, I think we set the tone with, um, with the, the CBA that, that the players negotiated and, and I was fortunate to have a, have a seat at that table and, and be up by their side on that. Um, and, and, you know, we, there are so many things that we did to just kind of, you know, demonstrate what needs to happen for, for women athletes, um, a course correction, if you will, for our sport, um, what, you know, the opportunities are for, for generating revenue, for marketing at the league level, for marketing at the team level, um, for showing how we support women who are looking to plan a family and to return to the game with, with little ones in tow. Um, our, our, our biggest challenge is, I think, maybe staying on course. We, we have such a great um, map um, and so we we just need to follow it. And um, so let's see. Let's 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 see how we do that together. Yeah, it's, uh, it's it. going to be an exciting season for sure. You mentioned the connection to former players along with these other initiatives. They're going to name the 25 greatest players, the 25 greatest moments, continued work in the community, the new jerseys. There's a lot of exciting things to look ahead to with this season and hopefully building on the growth from last year. Terry, thanks so much for making some time for us. Hey, listen, I'm so glad to be part of the conversation. I, 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 I'll come back as many times as you'll have me, Sarah. Well, we will have you. We'll have you You're mid-season best, and right before it starts and any time in between to keep us up to date and everything going on. Appreciate the time. Cool. Thanks. Terry okay. Jackson. Yes.
we're going to need her to mediate since, you know, obviously the Aces are going to win it all this year. And right. Get angry That's a great that, point. We know? should bring her back to mediate when we get some beefs between we got Shanae with the Sparks, you with the Aces, me with the Red Stars. My guess is Gojo's going to have to be a Sparks fan now, but he might still ride for, for the Connecticut Sun. You never know. You never know. He's got those yeah. ties to Connecticut. It's Spain and Fitz brought to you by Goodyear celebrating March deal days with month-long service and savings. Visit GoodyearAutoService.com for offers. Coming up, Fitz Magic is back. The quarterback dominoes are falling. An update on who else other than the great Andy Dalton to the Bears has gone where? It's next, ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz Podcast. It's that kind of day around these parts. Jason Fitz's team is opting to just go without an O-line for next season, see how that goes. And uh, Chicago Bears have... Once again, ask their fan base to look deep, dark into the abyss of blackness and settle for a mediocre quarterback that's certain to involve a lot of check downs and not give us any hope for winning. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Happy Tuesday. <laughs> hey, the good news is you have a quarterback. I mean, Derek Carr is a, a quarterback I like a lot. I just feel bad for you know, the fact that he's going to be murdered by like week three. Like, it's just they won't. Uh, I'm going to be the center. There's a maybe, so maybe sorry. guard. I'm yeah. so sorry. Did you just say to someone who roots for the Chicago Bears, the good news is you have a quarterback while looking at a roster that has Nick Foles and Andy Dalton? Did you do you that? You have a human being that can stand back there and play quarterback. Right like, now we do. At some we'll point, see how it goes. it's going to be the Tasmanian <laughs> devil for the Raiders. The minute it's snapped, you'll just see it swirling around and say, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, and then he'll try and throw the ball away. Honestly, haven't we seen enough Carr brothers get destroyed by no oh. offensive line? That's it's just that. Someone in that someone in that family needs a better shake. It's Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We got a bonus 90 minutes today, so we're extending the sadness uh, because we're taking you into Pelicans Blazers at 930 Eastern right here on ESPN Radio. PJ Carlissimo going to join us later to set you up for that one. But for now, we have some other quarterback moves to talk about. We'll get back to ranting and raving about our team's bad decision-making. Let's talk about whether other teams made good decisions. We got Winston, Taylor, Fitzpatrick, and Brissett. Let's start with Winston. Um, this to me um, would have been more surprising were it not for the fact that a lot of those numbers in that uh, Taysom Hill contract are empty, right? There's a lot in there that's that's imaginary, that's set up so that if he's great, they pay him and he sticks around. And if he's not, they can easily rid themselves of him. So this is a true quarterback competition. Just one year for Winston, good numbers in terms of team friendly, and he can decide whether he's the future there and they can decide that or he can go somewhere else. This seems kind of like a no-brainer. Yeah, and, and look, I, I actually think this is a pretty good move for everybody involved. Uh, Jameis is somebody they know, and he knows their system. He gets the opportunity to rehab whatever the image is around Jameis. Remembering that 5,000 yards and 30 touchdowns is a part of the conversation we rarely give credit for with Jameis. We talk a lot about the picks. We don't talk a lot about the production. And so I, I look at some of the production and say, okay, at least there's reason for hope if you're a Saints fan. Certainly he's not going to find a more dynamic offense that he could ever be a part of. So if there's an opportunity for Jameis to really sort of set the new stage for who he can be as a starting quarterback, it makes the most sense to do that in New Orleans. A little bit of a win-win here for Jameis for the Saints. Uh, but uh, does it mean that in any way, shape, or form they close the perceived gap between where they are and where the Bucks are? I mean, oh, heck no. But at mm-hmm. least they're not starting all the way over. Well, and his ceiling's certainly higher than Taysom's, but his floor is lower too, right, because yeah, of the point. amount of giveaways and bad decision-making. Ryan Clark, ESPN NFL analyst, was on KJNZ this morning talking about how uh, they need to go with Winston and not Hill, despite what we saw last season. 
It's Jameis Winston. I felt like it should have been Jameis Winston last year. And when you saw the four games that Taysom Hill started, you saw that he couldn't be your long-term answer at the quarterback position. But it was genius by Sean Payton. You got to hide Jameis Winston. You didn't have to have the Teddy Bridgewater situation where he leaves and goes off to another place because they've seen how he's improved. And so I think now you move on to the Jameis Winston era for the New Orleans Saints. And you put him on this one-year deal. It's a prove-it deal. It's he, if he proves uh, that he's improved in the turnover uh, category, if he shows that he can still be explosive down the field, I believe that the New Orleans Saints have found their quarterback of the future. I'm not as certain about it as Ryan. I do think, again, Taysom's more of a toy, a great toy to have, but um, if you want to have a real quarterback uh, that's going to have a higher ceiling, you go with Winston. That, of course, um, really, really requires him to make better decisions. And I think a lot of people I've heard on radio and TV lately seem to think it's very simple. Well, he just has to make uh, fewer turnovers and and, and better decision-making. Well, duh, right? (laughs) It's not that simple. A lot of quarterbacks, Fitzpatrick is one of them, who have kind of never really reached the potential you think they might because of the decision-making. That being said, Ryan Fitzpatrick, here we go again. Another team... Another shot, and likely a starting position with the Washington football team. We had heard Alex Smith say things didn't go well despite him helping them kind of to the playoffs. I guess it counts. Um, So he was out, and you weren't going to stick with the backups that they had as the only quarterback plan there. So what do you make of Fitzpatrick and Washington? Yeah, actually, I think this is a great move. Realistically, let's remember that when you know Fitzpatrick was pulled for Tua, that wasn't an easy decision, and that mm-hmm. wasn't even a well-received decision. I mean, Fitzpatrick was playing really well on a team that had a shot at the playoffs. So now you've got a Washington team that finished 7-9 and nine and you know gives them some stability to look at it. And then the other side of it is it is Fitzpatrick at this point in his career. So certainly if they are able, if somebody falls in the draft or they're able to move their way up to get a quarterback they like, they've got somebody they know can be a mentor. So I don't see any loss for this. This is one of those rare moves right now where I look at it and say, wow, that's a great fit and a smart move, and a realistically valued contract. Like, there's just no, – I can't find anything bad about it from Washington's standpoint or from Fitzpatrick's standpoint. So I, I think it's a win-win for everybody involved. I completely agree with you. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. He's 38. It'll be his 17th season. It'll be the ninth team that he could start and throw touchdowns for. Um, he's a journeyman guy who – Never really got the giant contract and was a superstar, but was always a great leader, was always pretty dependable. And that's a team that has a shot at winning the division, even without a great quarterback. They've got a really solid defense, and they look around at the competition, and they say, we're not going to blow things out of the water with a big signing of of anyone right now, so we're going to use this veteran stopgap while we look ahead to the future. I I like it. I think it's good, and I think it's good for Fitzpatrick. Uh, moving on, Terod Taylor or Tyrod Taylor. I don't care how you fall on that, but he says his name is Terod, so I'm sticking with that. Uh, what do you make of Terod Taylor to the Texans, not just as an open spot where Deshaun might be walking out, but culture-wise, interesting choice? Well, I think it's an interesting co- choice because they get themselves somebody that has had a lot of belief in his ability to be a starter, right? I mean, if you look at mm-hmm. each of the, the spots that Terod has been in, It hasn't gone the way that he had wanted it to, but let's also remember that Justin Herbert wasn't the day one starter. It took a freak injury uh, during an injection that that broke his rib, right? So all of a sudden, Justin Herbert thrust in and then has a rookie of the year type year. So, you know, all of a sudden, if you look at Terod, he goes into a situation where I think what the Texans just gave themselves is a little bit of a safety net. 
if for some reason they can't come to some sort of a middle ground with Deshaun and they decide they're going to play chicken and that game of chicken goes into the regular season, I feel a heck of a lot better about Terod being the starting starter there than I would about a lot of places. So it actually kind of makes sense and gives them a little bit of protection if Deshaun Watson and this uh, this problem between them and uh, their player goes into the regular season. Totally agree. Uh, Football sense, it's a really wise move for that team as they try to navigate whether Deshaun is really willing to hold out and sit out if he doesn't get the trade he's looking for um, in a guy like Terod, who has had a couple opportunities and usually not due to his own merit or play, things haven't worked out. Like you mentioned last year, particularly with the punctured lung, I do think it's curious that a black quarterback is heading to a place that by all accounts seems to be having issues uh, around race, but you know, their new head coach is black as well. So Maybe they're trying to turn the corner, or maybe those folks are just seeing an opportunity in a place that might not be ideal but does offer them a chance to thrive. Uh, finally, Jacoby Brissett uh, ends up with the Dolphins. Any thoughts on that quickly? Yeah, I think it's just a good opportunity for somebody that's likely a career backup to go in and give mm-hmm. them a little safety net behind Tua. But Tua is the starter there, and I just keep thinking of the names we're talking about and saying this was the quarterback season of unprecedented change. Like, this is not as inspiring as any of us hoped. <laughs> well, maybe draft night will will hold some surprises for us. Like I said before, very clear what the Bears are doing. They're 10 steps ahead. Andy Dalton's going to go to the Seahawks or the Jets and then the Darnold. And then, anyway, I'll let you know how it's going to go in just a little bit. I'm still figuring out the pieces. I've got a big board in my house and some red string, and it's all going to work out. <laughs> uh, coming up, one of the greatest head coaches of all time joins us on the Goodyear Hotline to talk NCAA tournament. It's next, Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. We're not going to try to sugarcoat it. Fitz's team got rid of all of its offensive linemen. My team signed Andy Dalton to continue to be a safe space for aging, mediocre quarterbacks who can't find a positive contract anywhere else. So it's been ugly. It's been it's been a rough Tuesday, uh, but we're going to get through it together. Uh, We do have some excitement on the horizon. We've got a couple NCAA tournaments. I actually came up with what I think is a very brilliant idea for a fun bracket uh, that is not at all basketball related. We'll get into that. Uh, But we're trying to keep our hopes up here on Spain and Fitz. It's Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're taking you into Pelicans Blazers, a 930 Eastern start here on ESPN Radio tonight. So you get an extra 90 minutes. Let, let's go. It's an extra 30 minutes. I mean, I, I was going to say, isn't it 30 90, minutes? It, I don't want to be on for an extra 90 minutes. This is already difficult for my soul. Look, if we think we're going to make it through an extra 90 minutes and I'm not going to start <laughs> dropping F-bombs, like that's just probably not going to happen. I mean, it's an extra 30 minutes of space. As it fits. turns out, a bad day for our producers, too. <laughs> Look, I think we can all, like, it's really set in, sir. I've had some time to think about today, and I think we can all agree on one thing. It's it's time to blame my dad. Like, my dad could have been a Patriots fan. He could have been a Packers fan. Like, all of these things could have happened, and it would have made my life so much easier. You know, just just think about it. It is time to realize that it's my father's fault that I have misery every single Sunday during the regular season, and now, apparently, during the majority of the offseason. I blame dad. I'm going to blame my parents, too. Uh, The only problem is is that my parents aren't really big sports fans, so it's not their fault. They just moved to somewhere where people like the Chicago Bears, and then I chose that team. The other options weren't great because I was born in Cleveland. So, you know, I know that the Cleveland Browns are looking better now, but I would not have wanted to subject myself to that for the last couple decades either. 
Um, I suppose I could just blame my parents for not moving to Green Bay, but then I'd have to be from Wisconsin. And I don't know if I want that either. I mean, there's so many, there's, there's so much give and take here, Fitz, really. To, to assign blame uh, is, is to ignore all the other things that could possibly have gone wrong for you were your dad to have, say, you know, wanted to move you to, I don't know, Orlando. Oh, you know, but it, sorry, Orlando. Right. I don't know why that popped in my head. I just thought of somewhere that's full of strip malls and weird people. You know what? You know what's uh, what's worse than you know working in strip malls and, and dealing with weird people every day? Watching the Raiders every like having the, the it's my phone. Like the, so, here's the moment that the nobody realized happens today. But here's the moment, and we'll give the world the play by play they didn't ask for, Sarah. As I'm sitting and and I walk away from the 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 phone for all of ten minutes, and you know uh, we have a dog that's had massive knee surgery, Clark, and so it, it's a handful. Anytime he has to go to the bathroom, I got to kind of hold him up while he you know goes number two. It's it's not a pretty sight. I'm sitting there saying lift with your legs. It's the it's an entire thing, right? Mm. So I walk back to my phone and I see Stosh, producer extraordinaire, has sent me a text that says cutting Rodney Hudson, huh? And I'm thinking, what is he talking <laughs> about? Like cutting a rug? Like is Rodney Hudson out there dan- dancing? Like there's no way my <laughs> beloved Raiders cut arguably their best player. And then I looked at Twitter, which was my second mistake in this entire process. <laughs> The third mistake in this process was then looking at my stream of text because it was almost mm. as bad as when Khalil Mack was traded. It was almost to that level, Oof. the number of people. And now they're professional sports people that I respect the heck out of that are trolling me in my text, and I can't do anything about it. And the worst part is that bad day for you when Khalil Mack got traded was a great day for me. It was my oh, birthday yeah, morning, and I woke up <laughs> to like a stream of texts that were just like, Ah, Mack! And on this day, I don't even get to be excited and lorded over you that your team sucks because mine is also terrible. Um, I will say that I was given a little bit of joy from seeing this on Twitter, which is what someone described as what it looked like when John Gruden looks at his offensive line this season. I know way too many people here right now that I didn't know last year. Who the <laughs> y'all? Oh, God. So I mean, real. that's that about sums it up, like, uh, which is exactly how I feel about the Cubs, uh, the, the Cubs rotation this year. I'm like, who are you? <laughs> I, I mean, you got you one know, starter and five fifth starters. <laughs> at this point, the Raiders are likely to go into next season. It looks like with four of their five offensive linemen being new and mm. there's not a lot out there for offensive line help. And, and so I, all I can do is look at it and say nothing feels more confident in year four than finding out it's a rebuilding year. Like I'm just waiting suddenly <laughs> to find out that, that they're going to trade Carr for like a sixth round draft pick and they're going to go into the year with Mariota. And then they're just going to say, you know what? We've decided to rebuild the entire roster. This is my life at this point. Like yeah. you know, if I just lined them up and shot them back for every single moment in my Raiders fandom over the last four years that's been frustrating I would not make it through the uh, I wouldn't make it through the show I feel like uh, you've had these moments of hope and enthusiasm about what Gruden's doing and the tides are turning and the way things are headed now you're probably back on that how many years you know is is Gruden uh, have left like there's a website that counts down to the second how much time is left on that massive contract and how much money he's owed since you arrived on the website. Uh, I think you're back there. Um, And it's also, you know what, all jokes aside, and I don't mean to rub it in, but as bad as getting a quarterback is, Getting giving away one of the toughest positions to find an offensive lineman is right up there. We're going to get back to this. There's pl- plenty more venting to do. Uh, but joining us now on the Goodyear Hotline is Stanford coach Tara Vanderveer, who's looking ahead to the tourney this weekend. Coach, thanks for the time. My pleasure. 
let's talk about this wide open field. Uh, it's not what you want to hear when you're a one seed, but uh, what do you think when you look out and realize four new number ones that weren't number ones the last women's tournament, five different teams that were AP poll number ones throughout the season? This is a, this is a, a really nice piece of parity here for the women this year. Well, we're really excited to be here, and quite honestly, you know, once I, I don't really think a seed is that relevant. I mean, you know, it doesn't give you points on the board when you start the game. Right. Um, and this is a weird, weird year. You just hope you're healthy and test negative and you get to play. I mean, Coach, you just mentioned the testing. Uh, what has the COVID testing been like for you guys now that you're getting into that situation? Well, this is our first day down here, and uh, it's interesting. I'll give you that. Um, we're, we just, uh, we're just sitting on the floor in a big old room waiting for our results. So, uh, <laughs> obviously we just hope that everyone is negative and that we can, uh, move on. You know, you have a day of kind of, you have to be a day in quarantine. And then once you can clear that, then you can get on the gym, uh, gym floor and practice. Yeah. Lots of, um, lots of time to be patient for the results and maybe read a book or load up some shows on your phone. A lot of sitting in the rooms for sure. Tara Vanderveer is with us here on Spain and Fitz. You guys had what, nine weeks on the road because of COVID due to the regulations, uh, at home. How difficult was that uh, keeping your team up without being able to have, you know, home games mixed in? Um, you know, it was really, it was really challenging. I think at first when our, when our County shut down, you know, we were really excited just to uh, be able to play. So we went to Las Vegas, and uh, Las Vegas, they really took great care of us. We were in a great hotel, and we were able to practice and play our games right there at a UNLV. And um, and then we just took kind of took it one week at a time, and we went the next week. We went back to Northern California, not Stanford, but another place. They went to Southern California. Then uh, I think the biggest challenge was our, you know, team. No one could go home for Christmas at all. Um, you know, they had to really be isolated. And then we went to Arizona, uh, came back, and we couldn't. We still could not come in our county, so we were in Santa Cruz County. So we played our away, our home games at, at the Warriors G League uh, site. Hmm. Um, but we were just thankful to be able to be playing. But we were practicing in a high school gym. The power went out. The floor was really slippery. Um, it just, it was very challenging. And I'm really proud of our team, you know, just get through it. I mean, Coach, everything you're just saying there, I mean, it speaks to, to life. Like Sarah and I have had a great year being able to still talk on, on radio every day, and we're thankful for that. But to maintain any level of mental focus is difficult. Now you're talking about college kids that have had their entire routine essentially ripped out. I mean, how do you keep everybody mentally charged when it's this much of a drain for this mm -hmm. long? Well, I just, you know, I, it, it was very challenging. I, I think our staff did a great job. Um, I think our upperclassmen, um, you know, our, our senior leadership was great. And we just tried to take it kind of one week at a time. And, you know, if something could go wrong, it did go wrong. You know, but thankfully our team was able to stay healthy. And they've been really strict following the protocol, you know, wearing their masks and staying six feet apart and, um, you know, it's, um, it's been a challenge, but uh, again, we're excited to be here and have a chance to play against the best teams in the country. Spain and Fitz, we're talking to Stanford coach, the winningest coach in women's basketball, Tara Vanderveer. I'm sure that reputation and that veteran status for you also helps influence uh, players to really respect your leadership and, your, and, and the way you want to run things during this very uncertain time. You mentioned, you know, the seed doesn't earn you any points when the game starts. Is that the message you're giving your players? Obviously, great honor, um, but something you've sort of downplayed since the brackets came out. 
Well, I mean, I just, I think so much of, um, you know, once you get on the court, you've got to do the right thing. doesn't matter what your seed is. You've got to, you know, you've got to play defense. You've got to rebound. You've got to take care of the ball, get good shots. And uh, you've got to come ready to play. And again, in this situation, uh, we're so fortunate. So many families, so many people have had loved ones uh, die because of COVID and, and people have lost their jobs and their businesses. So I want our team to really appreciate being on the court and play with a lot of joy and a lot of enthusiasm and, you know, just, um, you know, kind of just, you know, forget about kind of the hoopla around it and just play hoop. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting in this time, right? Fitz to, to balance the excitement about we have a tournament versus like, okay, okay, settle down and play basketball. (laughs) I mean, from the human side coach, that's what seems really difficult to me. Like when there was no tournament last year, now you come in and you got to manage adrenaline and emotion and you've got all of this mental wear and tear, like putting all of that together in a year Mm -hmm. where now you have to perform on the court in a managed and calculated way just seems so difficult for kids. You know, um, the young people that I coach on our team, um, they're resilient, and I told them from the get-go, your middle name has to be flexible. And we just go with the flow. You know, they say, come test at 6 in the morning. We go test at 6 in the morning. They say, test. we test three times a day sometimes. We test in the morning, after practice, and at night. I mean, we just we do what they ask us to do so we can play. And, again, I think we, we feel so fortunate to be able to play, and I know the, you know, the NCAA is working really hard to put on a, a great tournament, and we're excited to be in it. Tara Vanderveer, the Pac-12 women's basketball coach for the 16th time, a finalist for the Naismith Women's Coach of the Year Award. Her Stanford number one seed take on Utah Valley Sunday night, 10 p.m. Eastern on ESPN. Coach, thanks for the time and good luck in the tourney. All right. Thank you very much, and thank you for your coverage of women's basketball. Stay well. Tara, hitting us up right after that COVID testing, which went long, which, you know, is going to be part of the process and procedure for all these coaches, balancing everything else alongside all those protocols. Coming up on Spain and Fitz, how much pressure on Cam Newton after this Patriots spending spree? We'll get into it next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. It's a rough, it's a rough night for us to have 30 extra minutes to complain about what our football teams are doing to us. But you know what? Sometimes it feels better to talk about it. And you guys, all of our listeners out there, you're sort of like our therapist. Fitz and I are going to keep talking things through. Maybe by the end of the call, we'll feel a little better about it. And if not, we will be off the air. And there will be, well, only alcohol for me. I keep forgetting. You chose the wrong time to go dry, friend. You really Look, did. Uh, there's no alcohol and there's no <laughs> snacks. There's a no. very clean eating you can't right now. eat your way through this. you got to stare it right in the face, sober as yep. hell. But there is no rule against <laughs> Flintstone vitamins, and I might just have to take a couple of those. That's all I'm saying. No rule against oh. Flintstone vitamins. Those are calorie-free. I have the weirdest co-host of anyone at this network, and that is really saying something. Spain and Fitz, <laughs> Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Everybody look out. Fitz might go on a Flintstone vitamin binge. Um, we are taking you into Pelicans Blazers, 930 Eastern, right here on ESPN Radio. We'll get you ready for that. Uh, Bill Barnwell also going to join us to break down all of the moves today. He'll be on the Goodyear hotline. But right now on Spain and Fitz, presented by Progressive Insurance, we want to touch back on the Patriots. And the angle we we didn't hit earlier as much as I would like is Cam Newton's role in all of this. Because as we're asking guests from the Boston Globe and as we're being asked, um, what does this mean for the Patriots in terms of their division and their return to potential playoff success, 
So much of that hinges on whether Cam is indeed their answer at quarterback for next year, whether they go out and find someone else in the draft or free agency, and what he can be with a true offseason and more time in that system. It feels like a lot of differing opinions going on. Ryan Clark was on KJNZ this morning, and he seems to think so much of this is on a guy that we, we don't know what we're getting. I think he's under a ton of pressure. Right. If, if, if you're a Cam Newton and you understand what last year looked like, especially down the stretch, and now you're starting to see that the New England Patriots are making some moves to get you some skill players, this is your last chance. I don't necessarily know if there was going to be another place other than New England that was going to give him an opportunity to compete to start after what they saw last year. There were times last year, especially early on in the season, you know, you go back to the Seattle Seahawks game and you think to yourself, Cam Newton still has it this dude could still play and then you look at him down the stretch of the season and I thought to myself if he had Jerry Rice Randy Moss and Terrell <laughs> Owens he still couldn't complete a pass which Cam Newton will we get with an offseason that kind of understands the offense that's going to be important because if he doesn't ball this could be it Woo, Fitz you got $500 to place a bet tomorrow does Cam look significantly different next season or the the same issues with potentially the shoulder and the deep ball and everything still there? That's a great question. And man, I'm going to bet that he looks significantly different. I I think that, uh, you know, we obviously much has been made about Cam having some struggles last year, but the offense itself had no identity. They had no idea what they were trying to even accomplish. Now, part of that is his fault. I will agree with that. But you're also talking about a quarterback that in one week would throw 10 passes as he did the second to last week against Buffalo and then the next week throw 30 passes against the Jets. Now, yeah, as much as we want to put part of that as Cam's inconsistency, I do think when you stack together the shoulder, the COVID issues, the lack of offseason, all of that together does give me some moment of pause where I say, okay, how much did the Patriots really have an understanding of what they were trying to accomplish as an offense? Now they go in with a bunch of weapons. And, I mean, I'm particularly excited about the tight ends that they've signed in Henry and Smith. Those two guys are great. I saw some of the best of Nelson Aguilar last year. So there are opportunities for Cam to be able to pick up some chunk yardage plays. So I, I, I think that Cam's going to come out and at least be pretty good. And pretty good would be a step up from they, where they were. Pretty good would be enough to get this Patriots team back into the playoff conversation. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Bart Scott was also on KJNZ filling in today, and uh, he seemed to read the additions to the to the roster as an indication of the style of play they would get back to. And you look at what they're doing. They're going back to the old school Patriots style before Tom Brady became a superstar. They're going to run the ball. They're going to play possession football. They're going to try and take shots down the field. And they're going to try and play great defense. And that's what you know, Bill told me. And now they're going to try and run the ball and, and take shots and use Cam as the 11th guy, the guy that you really can't account for, and hope that they can get back to the, the, to the form their defense was at a couple of years ago. Mm, you agree with that? No, I think that that's totally off in my mind, Sarah. And I I look at Jonu Smith and Hunter Henry as two guys I just mentioned, the tight ends, that are actually a lot more explosive than a lot of tight ends are. They're two guys that can do a lot with the yards after the catch. I mean, I think that what they've done is put themselves really in a Gronk, you know, Hernandez situation where they've got dynamic playmakers that are going to make it tough to defend them. So I think they'll have the ability to get big, you know, 10, 15-yard plays here and there, but even even more than that. So I think they can be explosive. Yeah, I mean, I guess maybe it works out well for them that if they go out and get a different quarterback who's got the arm strength to really use them that way, they can. And if not, they're still big targets across the middle for checkdowns and safety throws if Cam needs them and can't hit the big, deep balls. Um, 
yet to be seen. Uh, but I do think we're going to see a lot of the legs again from Cam, especially if that arm strength is permanent and not something that comes back this year with more time. Coming in next, we'll bring an expert in to look at NFL free agency and the quarterback dominoes that have fallen across the league. It's ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. It's a tough day around here. It's a tough day. Not going to lie. Sarah's having to accept the fact that Andy Dalton looks like he's going to be the, the quarterback or at least one of the options for the Bears this year. <sighs> I'm having to realize that Mike Golick Jr. could probably start at four positions out of five uh-huh. for my beloved Raiders offensive line today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not a comforting yeah. feeling. Yeah. We're going to try and get some comfort now from one of our favorites. Bill Barnwell <laughs> joins us from the Bill Barnwell Show podcast, ESPN.com senior writer. Bill, uh, I mean, we got a lot of free agency to get into, but we'll start selfishly with our own teams. Make it make sense. For the Raiders, why would you replace four people out of five on the offensive line when the offensive line wasn't a weakness? Maybe if you really don't want Russell Wilson and you wanted to say, hey, don't come here, uh, you get rid of all, get rid of all the players that would have made it uh, a desirable locale. I mean, I don't understand it. I, I can understand getting rid of one guy, maybe Trent Brown, make a trade there. I could see that making sense. Uh, but I mean, Rodney Hudson is a superstar. He's, you know, not a, not a big name, but one of the best players at his position in all of football. That's not that they got a pick for him. They cut him all together. So, um, maybe if they're loading up to spend money on defense, maybe go after a big piece or two, but I mean, a lot of the major defensive free agents are gone. So I really don't see what this money is going to do. This freedom money is going to do for the Las Vegas Raiders. Bill, we talk a lot about the dearth of quarterbacks, how tough it is to get a good one, how terrible it is to lose one. We don't talk as much about the offensive line that way, but I would argue it's probably the second most important position and the second toughest position to find and make moves if you're not good at that position. That's why this is especially shocking, right? Yeah, I mean, sir, think about the Super Bowl, right? You know, you have Patrick Mahomes, you have maybe the best quarterback who's ever lived. I mean, the most talented, freakiest quarterback, the guy who he figured, okay, you know, even when his line is at a disadvantage, he's still going to make magic happen. That entire game, he was running for his life. And we saw what the Chiefs did. They went out and signed Joe Thini to a massive contract because they don't want to ever be in that situation again because it costs them that game. Um, So I think absolutely – you know, uh, if you don't have that superstar quarterback, the next best thing you can do is get a decent quarterback, a good quarterback like a Derek Carr, and then protect him, which he's had great protection over the past few years. So now you wonder, not only is it making the Raiders worse along the offensive line, but also actively worsening their quarterback situation. Oh, this is yesterday. <laughs> Bill Barnwell joining us on Spain and Fitz. Let's spread the love out. Andy Dalton, oh, what can oh, like? Oh, oh. Let's have a little positivity. Who Speaking can Andy Dalton be as a starter worse. for the Bears? <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't hear your question. Can Can Andy Dalton do anything as a starter? That's a good question. I think part of it depends on <clears throat> the the players around him because we saw a few years ago, right? I mean, Andy Dalton that one year in Cincinnati was great offensive line, great receivers. He had a mammoth year. Has not been that guy really since last year at the Cowboys. You know, good talent at receiver, not much along the offensive line, and kind of an inconsistent year. Still a, you know, kind of a low-end starter, high-end backup kind of guy. But to me, the question is, you know, you're paying him $10 million. They're giving it to us in rough cap shape already. Like, I know he's, 
probably better than Nick Foles. But last year, when the Bears could have got Andy Dalton for basically free, they chose to trade for Nick Foles and give up uh, a mid-round pick and pay him $22 million over three years. So, you know, has Nick Foles gotten so much worse in that year that you have to go out and spend $10 million on Andy Dalton? I mean, for this team, given where they are, I think I would have preferred trying to trade up and draft a quarterback, maybe going for a cheaper option um, as opposed to spending this much money on a guy who I think is kind of the same player in many ways as Nick Foles. I have a, another question for you, but a real quick follow-up there. Regardless of any contracts or all the stupidity of how they arrived here, do you think Andy Dalton is a better option right now in this system than Mitch Trubisky? Hmm, I would – this is a – it's like a difficult question, but at the same time, there's no winners. Like, both, both <laughs> answers are bad somehow. I would say that I – the Trubisky who was playing at the end of the year, who is a good athlete – who is mobile, who is getting on the run a lot, I think was probably a better fit for this system than Andy Dalton, who mm. was a mobile guy in college, actually, but a little older now. Um, maybe not going to be quite as effective on those those sprint outs, on those play actions. So I would say I would prefer Mitch Trubisky, which sounds strange to say as I say it, but yeah. I think I would prefer him to Andy Dalton, especially at what is probably going to be a cheaper price tag. Fitz, you got to love, it's a tough question and the answer doesn't matter. Uh, which is basically what we got. Uh, Bill Barnwell with us here on Spain and Fitz, the Bill Barnwell Show podcast on ESPN.com, senior writer. Let's talk about the other quarterback moves. Uh, are you surprised to see Terod Taylor go to the Texans culture-wise, even even if not football-wise? I'm not surprised football-wise. Um, I, I think there is a logic there. I think he could be a good fit in David Coley's system. Um, you know, and obviously we don't know what's going to happen with Deshaun Watts. The Texans have made a ton of moves over the past couple of days, very low under the radar moves, but they have made a lot of signings. They're going to try and compete in 2021. They're not rebuilding. Um, and Tyrod is a guy who a few years ago in Buffalo with the right scheme with the right players around him was an effective quarterback. He's been terrible ever since he was bad with the Browns. He was bad with the Chargers last year, both situations where he was going to lose that job anyway, but it wasn't like he showed very much in those small samples. that made you think he was going to hold on to the job. So concealed logic in him going there, but it just feels like another situation where Tyrod Taylor is going to go play somewhere and fans are going to be miserable because they'd rather have someone else take quarterback for their football team. So we're talking to Bill Barnwell, obviously host of the Bill Barnwell Show podcast. Uh, you can check him out on ESPN.com as we break down everything that's been going on throughout the course of free agency. One of the interesting sort of conversations that was going to happen around the Giants was what to do with Leonard Williams and Dalvin Tomlinson. Leonard Williams gets the mega deal done. Dalvin Tomlinson goes to the Vikings. Did they get that right in your mind? At the price tag, I would say no, because Leonard Williams has been a guy who Dave Gettleman sort of made his like cost celebrate. Like he he like he traded for him midseason when he could have just signed him as a free agent after the year. He franchised him when nobody thought he was a franchise player. Well, of course, he has a big year last year. Finally, looks like that guy we expected coming out of school. A ton of sacks, ton of pressures. Dave Gettleman looks like a genius. Well, you reward the GM for making you look like a genius. You're going to get a big contract. He got twenty one million dollars per year. So. I don't think he's worth that kind of money. He's only been that kind of player once over the course of his career. Would rather have Tomlinson at a lower salary, but, uh, you know, certainly the upside is there with Leonard Williams. And I'm not surprised the general manager, you know, kind of backed up the truck for the guy who made him look smart. Bill, uh, Ertz given the okay to look for a trade from the Eagles. What's the future for Zach Ertz and how much does he have left? Not a ton. I mean, I don't know. I mean, the Eagles offense made everyone look bad last year. So it might right. be a thing where it just, you know, removed from Philadelphia. He kind of sees the fountain of youth, but 
Um, I think we're going to see teams kind of interested in him at a very low cost, maybe a sixth, seventh round pick for a guy who, you know, was a, a superstar tight end as recently as two or three years ago. Um, the salary is not great. You know, really might just be a one-year deal for a team like the Colts. Uh, I would I would rule out the Patriots, but then again, they're collecting every other tight end, so maybe they're just going to have six tight ends on the roster this year. Um, you can never rule out the Bears for a tight end, as you know. Um, but I think you're going to see teams kind of getting a low-round pick and hoping to get more out of him than they saw last year in Philadelphia. Bill, real quick before we uh, wrap it up with you, you just mentioned the Patriots looking at all of their moves. Uh, give it sort of a grade in your mind of how the Patriots have done. See, I mean, they're desperate. Like, that's just the reality of the situation. They are desperate to improve the talent on their roster. When you make these kind of moves in the first day of free agency, it almost never works out. Now, could it work out for the Patriots? Of course. They're going to be more talented than they were in 2020. But, I mean, when you're signing Nelson Aguilar to a massive deal, when you're signing guys who are not, you know, John Smith is a good player, but not the most expensive tight end in football level good. So I think that they are in a position where they're overpaying for a lot of guys, doing the exact sort of things the Patriots haven't done for about 20 years. But given the, the lack of talent on their roster last year, I don't know if they really had much of a choice. You Bill Barnwell, oh. yeah, just real quick, uh, since you're making us sad, uh, if I ask this question and we get to, like, the draft time, um, is there any chance that there's still, like, a big explosion where, like, Russell Wilson and Deshaun Watson aren't on the teams they're on and, like, maybe Sam Darnold isn't on the Jets and, like, all this crazy stuff happens that we were hoping for? I could see Darnold. I think that's the most plausible one. Uh, I don't think Russell Wilson gets traded. That's the one I don't care about. Uh, unfortunately. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm not fair. Um, I mean, Deshaun Watson, it, the Texans just have to give in. Like, the moment they decide they're going to do it, they can get a deal done that day. And the Dolphins still have a third pick. A lot could still happen between now and April 28th. So I'd say Russell Wilson, no. Sam Darnold, yes. Deshaun Watson, somewhere in the middle. Hmm. Look at that. This is Goldilocks coming at you straight from Bill Barnwell. As always, Bill, you're the best, my friend. We appreciate you. Even on a sad day for us, you still somehow, well, no, you didn't bring us joy, but made you made us feel a little bit better. That's the best we can do today. Twisted the knife, really. <laughs> Thanks, <laughs> Thanks Bill. Uh, you can check out the Bill Barnwell Show podcast, obviously, and rebuild on ESPN.com. ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive's Home Quote Explorer, changing the way you buy home insurance now. You can go online, get a custom quote, and save both time and money. Learn more at Progressive.com. Obviously, the Raiders did a dumb thing, and the Bears quarterback situation is, man, but one of our analysts today said something that's absolutely wrong about what the Bears should do. We'll break it down for you next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're going a little extra time. If you're just tuning in, there's a little NBA action tonight. Pelicans, Blazers will be 9.30 Eastern on ESPN Radio. So that means you're going to get an extra 30 minutes of Sarah and I lamenting about our favorite teams as it was a tough day to be fans for both of us. But Sarah, I think there is one thing that we have to remember whenever we have the conversation. And this is really not just about the Bears or the Raiders. This is about every single team in all of sports. What happens so often is we see a superstar player somewhere that may be unhappy where they are, right? And suddenly that player, there's a perception that there's going to be a trade. Well, to have a trade takes two parties. And we become so used to the NBA essentially finding a way to get it done because a player doesn't want to be there anywhere anymore. But that's not necessarily the way the NFL does things. And today's a really good example of that. The Bears sign Andy Dalton. And it's easy to look at that and say, but 
we wanted Russell Wilson. Well, people in hell want ice water. I want to be able to dunk <laughs> a basketball. It doesn't matter that suddenly you can you can turn around and have all that all day. But there doesn't mean that there's any offer that the Bears could ever make that would make the Seahawks not only want to trade their star quarterback, but also take a $39 million dead cap hit. That, that's the part of the conversation I think is skewed. So our own Dan Orlovsky tweeted out earlier saying that, you know, no matter what, the Bears should should not have hung up the phone. You just keep going and going is the premise. Well, at some point, you can keep all day long saying, but I'll give you this, I'll give you this, I'll give you this. If you have nothing to offer in return, you cannot manufacture a trade for a great player. Yeah, here's the thing. I wanted to be hopeful about the Bears because that's all I've got, right? Like, they, they are consistently disappointing, especially at this position. This leadership has not made good decisions. You heard me at the end of last year saying – They cannot be stupid enough to think that backing their way into an expanded playoffs because another team lost is enough to justify returning the major pieces. And yet here we are, same coach, same GM, same quarterback in foals, and then adding Andy Dalton, which isn't going to fix anything. I did not think that they would be this inept and they would be this disappointing. And yet year after year, it's been that. So the only thing I have is hope. So with that in mind, I can get really excited about a world and a universe where things are so messed up in Seattle that they have no choice but to unload Russell Wilson. And he names teams, and somehow one of them is the Bears. We're never on anyone's list. So can I get excited about that? Yes. But when you ask me honestly, and anytime anyone asked me honestly over the last month or so on social media, if I thought it was going to happen, I said no. They don't have anything to offer in terms of draft picks. They have a 20th pick. They'd have to go future years. They don't have a quarterback situation that the Seahawks could get in the deal that would even be a stopgap, especially in the window that they're in right now. And the cap hit for the Seahawks is massive. So it needs to be a garbage fire that cannot be put out in order for them to make the move. It just felt like maybe he was using the public to get the things that he wanted in Seattle. All of that being said, it's okay for Dan to say dramatically, stay on the phone. It wasn't going to happen. I'm glad they took a big swing. I'm glad they're out there trying. The risk is, of course, that you could be this close to Russell Wilson or Deshaun Watson and get neither and end up with Andy Dalton. We're going to talk about the the Jets coming up. They're the team has been in, on the mouths of everybody for every major thing, and they could end up with... Darnold, because they're in the mix for these big things that never happen. So you want your team to take big swings, um, but this is sometimes what ends up happening. You're in, you're, you're painted into a corner where the only option really is to go out and sign Andy Dalton. Well, and and to that end, I think that's where you know that I always talk about the shoes on the other foot game. Like you got to sit there and ask yourself as a fan, you know, how would you feel if your team was essentially trading Russell Wilson for? A bunch of nothing. And that's what, what you got to look at. We all become so sort of lost in the concept of I want this player without realizing that, hey, that's going to take some level of return of equity that would be fair. And, and there was never going to be a situation where, frankly, the, the Bears were going to have the equity to do it. There's very little situation where uh, I could have seen the Raiders having any opportunity to do it. I think that's why we all gravitate towards the Jets, because at least they have a high draft pick. But even that, I mean, when you start to think about what we've talked about, for Field Yates uh, commenting on the, the fact that none of the 22 quarterbacks selected in the first round between 2009 and 2016 are still with their team. Like, there's nothing that's sure at this point. And if you're the Seahawks or you're the Texans, you got Deshaun, you got Russ. 
I mean, it's really cute for us to sit here and say all day, man, they're going to go here and they're going to go there. The only thing I'd say with Deshaun is that that situation, is it so buried on a personal level that maybe Deshaun mm. is willing to sit mm-hmm. out? I don't think Russ is at that spot. I agree. But if Deshaun is at that spot, that changes everything in the conversation. Houston at some point will have to decide what return is better than no return. I completely agree with you on that one. I do think that Deshaun is so deep in there that he might even be willing to sit out, especially because of his age and everything else and the massive upside uh, of what could come down the road if he gets out of there and what he thinks he can do with his career if he's not stuck somewhere like the Texans. With Seattle, there's been success there, and there are sticking points and there are things that he wants, but that feels like something that can be mended. Um, I I don't feel that way about the Texans. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. I wanted to point out, too, like, what Bill Barnwell just said about like Mitch Trubisky might have even been a better option than the guy that they're going out and paying ten to thirteen million dollars in Dan- in Andy Dalton, right? Then you you start to ask yourself, what where where do you point the finger for for the biggest issue? Is it that the quarterbacks aren't that great, or is it that the people working with the quarterbacks aren't that great either, right? Because Nick Foles has the upsides of working with the Eagles. During certain stretches, he was disappointing in other places. Was this a reminder of that, or is he just not a guy that's well-suited to play behind a team without a strong running game and a decent O-line? I mean, that that seems pretty clear. Is Andy Dalton going to be that much better? I mean, you are reuniting him with Bill Lazor, who was his OC for two years in, in Cincy. He had a near, near 90 passer rating, uh, 12 wins, 50 losses, 60% completion percentage. It wasn't that great, right? It wasn't anything to write home about. Um, so you're looking at this and saying, are you setting yourself up for another situation where it's just bad personnel for the team that you have, not to mention not exciting and mediocre, but e- even worse, could go massively down because you're not even taking into account the fact that you have struggles on that offense and need to need to pair someone closer to Mitch, who's the one that you're getting rid of. I mean, I think there is some level of accountability for whenever you've got somebody coming in that – doesn't feel inspiring. You got to ask yourself the tough question of how they got there and what has happened with the Bears, particularly, is we become like the NFL culture in general has become so ingrained on the conversation around Mitch. There is a fair conversation about Nick Foles and the resources wasted and the money wasted to bring in somebody that was supposed to be a better fit because he had some familiarity with Nagy, mm-hmm. that there was supposed to be this level of, hey, it may not be the best solution, but it is a solution, only to find out that obviously. It wasn't a solution because mm-hmm. now you're bringing in Andy Dalton. So how many mistakes do you get to make in the most important position in all the sports before eventually heads roll? And that that's, feels like the last one. It really does. I mean, it feels like inevitable at this point. Well, and, and, and rightfully so. I mean, it, it, but this is the, the same question I think everybody – there, there's this line suddenly. And, and look, the Patriots, while I'm not going to say that Belichick's at the same level, obviously, in hot seat, we all know that. But the view on Belichick will change if Cam is bad again this year compared to last year because you can excuse one year of screw-up at the quarterback position. I'm not sure most fan bases can can excuse multiple times that you've gone in and you've messed this up. No matter how you got there, that's the accountability that comes from a fan base. Yeah. Yeah, it's it, to me, it feels like that's why I asked, is there any chance sometime around or before the draft there's some massive thing that still happens because – this is this is a front office then and coaching staff that looks at what they're left with and says we're done. That's it. We're not going to be good enough to get another shot. We needed it to be Russ or we needed it to be Deshaun. Or we needed it to be a big swing and we're not getting that. 
I, I would love the thought of going in and being like, hey, guys, we would have won more games if we had Russ. Like every coach and GM right. in the league right. would be using that as their sales pitch. If you're just tuning in, we are just getting rolling. You get a little bonus time. Free. Free Spain and Fitz tonight. Zion and the Pelicans trying to claw their way into the playoff race. We'll talk about that more with P.J. Carlissimo next on Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio in the ESPN app Extended Edition. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Be careful who you laugh at right now as we get through free agency and we see some questionable contracts, some questionable moves. Maybe Sarah and I's favorite teams continuing to push us to the brink of elimination. I, all of this coming, but the joke might end up being on other teams before it's all said and done. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. That's right, this is bonus Spain and Fitz because in just a few minutes, you'll get Pelicans Blazers at 9.30 Eastern on ESPN Radio. Uh, part of the great second half lineup across the NBA. Don't forget, subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast and ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. You can say big when you bundle your auto, home, motorcycle, RV, or boat insurance. Visit Progressive.com. So, Sarah, you know this was supposed to be the year of unprecedented change, quarterback chaos, uh, movement all over the place. And we've been saying on this show for the last couple of weeks, hey, what if it turns out that Goff and Stafford and, and Wentz are really the biggest names that go anywhere? And it turns out that it's a bunch of quarterbacks that – uh, fan bases aren't all that excited about that move from one spot to the other. Now, we don't know what's going to happen with Russ or with Deshaun, and maybe there's still some glimmer of hope. But at some point, Jets fans need to look around, read the room, and understand before they laugh at anybody else. There's a really legitimate shot that the Jets are going to go into the next season with Sam Brad or with Sam Bradford, Sam Darnold as their quarterback because there's no other option and nobody really wants to take him. Like, there might not be movement opportunity for them. Yeah, it's kind of like earlier when I went on Chanae and Golick Jr.'s show, and the only thing that made me feel better is the fact that Chanae is a Texans fan and therefore has to sit in the gunk that is Deshaun Watson being drafted by them but then wanting his way out because it's that bad. I'm still sort of torn on whether that's worse than not drafting him at all like the Bears or is it worse to have him and lose him? Either way, it made me feel better that someone else was miserable. And the same is happening now. And listen, I'm sorry, Jets fans. You uh, had a couple good years with Mark Sanchez to the point where your coach got a tattoo of him on his body. Um, But for the most part, it's been pretty dire for you. And this offseason felt like the moment where the fact that you had almost no good players on the roster but had a high draft pick might allow you to put a little bit of hope in your step, might allow you to go out and trade that pick for something great. Uh, You still might just get to draft someone great and have the hope that's aligned with that, which is good, but it does feel like the Jets were an inevitable part of something big, right? It felt like, okay, it's going to be... It's going to be maybe Jets or Dolphins that are going to be part of something big this offseason. And as more dominoes fall and they aren't, you're like, uh, Jacoby Brissett, uh, Darnold again. Uh, just very surprising to me. Yeah, and I think that part of this has to come from understanding that as Jets fans look around and say, we don't want him for our quarterback, well, I'm not sure everybody else does either. Now, you're right. right. There's a real shot that the, the Jets could find at the number two overall pick. They've fallen in love with one of these other quarterbacks, be it Zach Wilson out of BYU or Justin Fields out of Ohio State, maybe even Trey Lance out of North Dakota State. Like Maybe they look around, they fall in love with these quarterbacks. That's fine. In which case, uh, there's a, a shot they could draft him and try and trade Sam Darnold at that point for whatever they can get for him. But I'm not sure there's this massive trade market. And if you're the Jets, you got to look around at some point and say, okay, 
Are we so in love with one of these guys at two overall that we're going to take them, or are we going to fix the rest of our roster? And that's the real piece that they're looking at. I mean, Jets fans, Colts fans, there are certain teams that have been looking around for months saying, we're going to have a ton of money and we're going to rebuild our roster. Well, now what we're seeing early on is that really the only team spending so much money, they're rebuilding the entirety of their roster are the Patriots. So for everybody else, you got to start looking at it and saying, okay, what's real for this year? I think there's a very real chance that the Jets just go with the best player available at the second overall pick and run it back with Darnold next year. And that's not going to be necessarily the greatest feeling for Jets fans. But I also don't think that that's dire. I mean, he's still the same quarterback that they had going in that they thought might be okay. So, you know, at the end of the day, I'd rather see a team sit there for a year too long on a quarterback that's not great than suddenly reach for another quarterback that isn't the right fit and start this whole process all over again. Funny you mentioned that because that's what we're hearing now about the Bears, right? That it might just be a panic pick of Dalton when they might have been better off with with Mitch Trubisky, right? They just want to prove to the fans that they did something when, in fact, they may have made it worse for more money. Um, with Darnold, the thing I, I was listening to Greeny today, and, and I think he was right on this. Like, there was a major problem with the amount of money going to high draft pick quarterbacks um, that was causing guys like Sam Bradford, who you mentioned earlier, to be one of the highest paid players in the league immediately without having played, without having proven anything. That was a problem. But we may have overcorrected the wrong way where because of the new contracts and the new systems and pay for young quarterbacks, they get given up on really early too. And so I I just don't want that to happen to Darnold. I want him to be somewhere that functions well enough for him to really get a chance to prove what he can do. I feel this way about any quarterbacks who end up, and that's the problem too. A lot of times the most dysfunctional teams are the worst, so they have the highest picks, so they try to fix things with a great quarterback, and I'm crossing my fingers and toes um, for the Bengals situation to not be one of those right now, right, where, you know, come back healthy and, and, and make good. But that too often happens with guys, and you never really get to see how they could have turned out. And that that could be part of the reason why we say it's so hard to figure out who's got talent in college that will play out at the, at the pros, and we blame it on the player when we might want to blame it on their weapons, their offensive line, their coaches, their system, their franchise in general, maybe the ones that go in the middle and end up somewhere that functions better aren't even better players. They just have a much better situation. And I feel for Andy, uh, for Sam Darnold, that's how it ends up being. Well, yeah, you're so right. And it's a message we all need to hear at the end of April in the draft. I mean, Carson Wentz was supposed to be a franchise changer. Marcus Mariota, franchise changer. Jameis Winston, fran- franchise changer. Sam Darnold, franchise changer. You look across the board, guess what? All of them were a reason for hope at one point, and their teams had to give up on them. And and whether that was because everything around them was dysfunction or because of injury or because it just fell apart, uh, we have to remember that having a pick at the top of the draft doesn't always mean that it's going to amount to anything. So if you're a fan of a team, in my mind more than ever, the answer is very clear of what to do with the draft. When you are sitting there, I don't care what your roster looks like. You look and you find the best player available and you take them because there's only a handful of teams that actually have a quarterback. And most of those teams are not picking high enough to be in that situation where the quarterback is the best player available, right? So for almost everybody else, it's hard for me to see a reason why you don't just look at the board and say, ah, I don't care how stacked we are at linebacker. If a linebacker is the best player available, as unsure as the draft is, I'm just going to go with the sure thing, which is a great player. Yeah, it's 
Uh, I don't. I I want to be. I want to be hopeful about the guys coming up in this draft because it might be one of the only chances for some of these teams to kind of turn things around. And you don't want to see the same teams suck over and over and over again. So I'm I'm hopeful for their sake. Yeah, I just feel like we're seeing a lot of fan bases that are just throwing money into the slot machine and it's not rolling yep. their way. Pelicans Blazers coming up next on ESPN Radio. We're off tomorrow. Back Thursday. Thanks for hanging out with us. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast.